The Bible says that Jesus died in order to deliver people from their lifelong bondage to the fear of death. What is your attitude about death? And do you know what will happen when you die? For the biblical answers to the most frequently asked questions about death, stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I'm Dave Reagan, founder of Lamb and Lion Ministries, and this is my colleague Nathan Jones, who serves as our web minister and evangelist. Thank you for joining us. It's great to be here, Dr. Reagan. Well, folks, uh, in this program we're going to discuss my newest book, which is entitled Eternity, Heaven or Hell. I wrote this book because I could not conceive of a topic more important than that of eternity. Every person who has ever lived or who is alive today has an eternal destiny of either heaven or hell. Now, atheists deny this. Their greatest hope is that there is nothing after death. What a hope! But their denial of both heaven and hell is futile, and it violates our basic nature. For one of the instincts that we're born with is the sense that there is something beyond this life. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has placed eternity in our hearts, just as He has given us an instinctive knowledge that He exists, according to Romans chapters 1 and 2. Accordingly, the Bible exhorts us to live with an eternal perspective. Colossians 3.2 says, we are to set our mind on things that are above and not on things that are on the earth. And in 1 John 2.15, we are warned not to fall in love with the world, nor the things of the world, because we are told that if we love the world, the love of God is not in us. And yet, the church today is filled with professing Christians who are clinging to this world as if it were the only hope they had. Why is that? Well, I believe the bottom line cause is an ignorance of what God's Word has to say about the future. And that problem, in turn, is due to the fact that most pastors avoid teaching and preaching Bible prophecy. Bible prophecy is full of glorious promises about the believer's future, so glorious in fact that the Apostle Paul was moved to write these words, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is yet to be revealed to us. Now, folks, that is a mouthful. I know people who are suffering mightily in this life from emotional problems and physical handicaps and various diseases. Yet Paul declares that no matter what we may suffer, it cannot be compared to the blessings that are lying in front of us if we have put our trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Paul repeats this incredible thought in 1 Corinthians 2.9 where he states, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has the mind of man conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. I can guarantee you one thing for sure. If you ever spend the time to search out the promises of God's Word for believers after they die, you will fall out of love with this wretched world and start yearning with all your heart for heaven. Instead of feeling comfortable with this world, you will sense that you are a pilgrim passing through an alien land en route to your true home, an eternal one in heaven. And that's what my new book is all about. It reveals the glorious promises that God has made about life after death, and it challenges you to live with an eternal perspective. Welcome back to our discussion of Dr. Reagan's newest book, Eternity, Heaven or Hell. 
Dr. Reagan, we get all sorts of questions in by people all the time asking us about the afterlife and death. And so I've compiled a list of frequently asked questions. I was wondering if I could ask you some of those questions. Okay, Nathan, fire away. Okay, first one, soul sleep. There's a number of people out there to believe, and I was taught this growing up, that when we die, we are unconscious in the grave until we're resurrected. What is, is that well, a yeah, biblical? Nathan, I, I think this is one of the most uh, popular misconceptions about what happens after you die. I, uh, I grew up in a church that also taught soul sleep. And soul sleep is the teaching that when you die, you lose all consciousness. You lie in a grave comatose for eons of time until the Lord comes back. And, and then uh, you're resurrected and you regain consciousness. Uh, there is a, a biblical basis for uh, believing in soul sleep, and that's the fact that the Bible often refers to death as sleep. Okay. But it's doing so figuratively. And, and we can prove that beyond a shadow of a doubt. The reason it uses that figurative term is because the, the, when you die, your body does go into a grave, but your mm -hmm. soul, your spirit goes to be with the Lord. So the body figuratively sleeps in the sense that the body goes into the grave, the body is lying there in the grave, and one day that body is going to be reanimated. Because when the Lord comes back and the resurrection occurs, that body, whether it has been eaten by the worms, whether it's uh, dissolved in the ocean, or whatever the Lord's going to speak, there's going to be a great miracle of re uh, recreation in which that body will come back together and He'll put your spirit back in your body and you receive a glorified body at that point. Okay. So there is just no such thing as soul sleep. You do not lose consciousness. Your spirit goes be with the Lord. And Paul emphasized that in his writings. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8 he made the uh, comment uh, that uh, he says, I would rather be absent from the body and be at home with the Lord. He had no idea of lying comatose in a grave. Not to be here was to be with the Lord. And over in uh, Philippians uh, chapter 1, he says, to live is Christ, to, 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 to serve the Lord, but to die is gain. Well, certainly it's not gain to lie in a grave comatose. It's gain because that's to be with the Lord. And then he also says in verse 23 that he says, I'm kind of hard pressed in both directions. I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, uh, but I also want to serve Him. So I'll serve Him as long as He wants to, but I really would prefer to go on and die and be with Him. So it was no concept of lying comatose in a grave. Not to be here was to be with the Lord. Okay. Oh, that makes sense. So the body in the grave, yes. the soul... With the Lord. With the Lord. Okay. Yes. So that when, as soon as we die, then we go to heaven or hell? Well, now that, that's a good question. In fact, most people believe that, that the moment you die, you either go to heaven or hell. The, most people would be surprised to find out there is nobody in hell right now. Really? Uh, people are going to be consigned to hell in the future. Uh, let, let me put it to you this way. Before the cross, things work differently than the way they do today. Before the cross, and we know this very definitely from the Bible and from the story that Jesus told about Lazarus and the rich man over in Luke 16. Before the cross, when a person died, regardless of whether they were saved or lost, their spirits went to the same place. Their spirits went to a place called Hades. Now, Hades is not the same place as hell. Hades is a temporary holding place for the spirits of the dead. Mm -hmm. And both went there. There were two compartments in Hades. One was called Paradise, or Abraham's bosom. The other was called uh, Torments. Mm -hmm. And there was a gulf between them that could not be crossed. So that when Lazarus, the rich man, died, Lazarus went to Paradise. The rich man went to Torments. They could see each other. They could talk to each other. They could not cross uh, this place. So that's where all the spirits of the dead went. And that's the way it was until the time of the cross. And people immediately ask, well, why is it that people who died at that time didn't go directly to heaven? The reason is that their sins were covered by their faith. Mm 
But their sins were not forgiven by their faith because there is no forgiveness of sins apart from the shedding of blood. The Bible teaches that over and over. And the blood of bulls and goats is not sufficient. There had to be a perfect man who did not deserve to die who would die for your sins and my sins. So they had to wait there until their sins were not only covered, but their sins were forgiven. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, we're told that He descended into Hades. Some of the ancient confessions of the church say He descended into hell. Hmm. But no, it was Hades. He descended into Hades, and it says He made a proclamation. We're told that over in 1 Peter 3, but it doesn't tell us what the proclamation was. But I can pretty well guess. Okay. The blood has been shed. And I would imagine there was tremendous hallelujah on the part of those who were in that compartment Mm -hmm. called paradise. And then we're told in Ephesians chapter 4 that when Jesus ascended into heaven, He took with Him, He took with Him those who had been in bondage. He took, uh, it said, uh, it took with him captives. Well, the very idea of that is he emptied paradise and took paradise to heaven with him. And we're told over in 2 Corinthians 12 that's what happened. Because Paul says there that he was taken up to the third heaven. First heaven being the atmosphere of this planet, second heaven being space, third heaven being where God resides. He says he was taken up to the third heaven, which is paradise. So paradise was moved at the ascension from Hades to uh, Heaven. And so therefore today when a believer dies his spirit goes immediately to Heaven to be with the Lord. And the spirit of the unbeliever still goes to that place called Torments which is in Hades. That's that's huge because yeah. a lot of people they Need think, to really heaven think or about hell. that. That's Probably listen to this more than once. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or get the book and read it. Well, what about all the teachings of purgatory? Then I mean, don't people have to earn their way into heaven? Uh, no, uh, purgatory. The concept of purgatory is an absolute total myth. There is no such thing as purgatory. This okay. place called torments where the unbelievers go is not purgatory. Purgatory is the idea that believers have to go to a place of torment, oh. and believers have to be tormented to be purged of all their sins before they can be taken into the presence of a holy God. To me, purgatory is a blasphemy of the Lord Jesus Christ, because the Bible teaches that Jesus did everything necessary for us to go to Heaven on the cross. That we mm-hmm. don't have to do anything except uh, reach out and receive that gift in faith by putting our faith in Him as Lord and Savior. Uh, we're told in 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 that the blood of Jesus is sufficient to cleanse us of all sin. I mean, we don't need to be purged. We don't need to be tormented. Jesus delivered us from all that. The blood of Jesus is sufficient. Even those who believe in purgatory, even those who defend it, realize and will admit there is not one verse in the Bible, not one, that substantiates purgatory. Hmm. The only place they will point to is the book of Maccabees, where there's a statement about going back to Jerusalem and praying for the souls of the dead people who had died on the battlefield. But that's one of the many reasons that Maccabees was never accepted by the Jewish people as a canonical book, as a book that was part of the Bible. It was added later on by the Roman Catholic Church in the Middle Ages, partially to substantiate the concept of purgatory. But there is no biblical basis for purgatory, and the very idea is a blasphemy of Jesus. Well, I'm thankful that I don't have to have relatives light candles to make sure I get out of purgatory. Amen. Yes. Well, that brings a lot of people uh, second chances. All those people in, in 
torments right now. Are they going to get a second chance to give their lives to Christ? No. There, there is no second chance. The Bible okay. makes that very clear. Uh, if you turn over to the uh, book of Hebrews and you look at Hebrews chapter 9 and uh, verse 27 it says, It is appointed for men to die once and after that comes the judgment. We are going to be judged on whether or not we accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Uh, those who have not are going to be confined to hell. Those who have are going to be able to go to heaven and spend eternity with God. It is not a matter of works. It is not a matter uh, anything that has to do with that. It is a matter of faith, of accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And it depends on this life. Do you do it in this life? There is no second chance after death. And people who think that are in for a terrible surprise. But now let me tell you something that's interesting about that. The Bible says over and over that at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, every person who ever lived is going to bend their knee and going to confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior. But it will be too late at that point Uh for a person to be saved. But every person is going to do it. And that's going to be quite a scene, Nathan, because that means Hitler is going to bend his knee before the throne of Jesus Christ and confess Jesus as Lord. Stalin will confess that. Pol Pot will confess that. All of the nefarious people who have ever lived, including uh, what's her name, uh, uh, the atheist here in the United States that got prayer. Uh, oh, Madeline Murray O'Hare. Madeline Murray O'Hare yeah, is going to bend her knee and she's going to confess that Jesus is Lord. But it will be too late. Unfortunately too late. This is something that needs to be done in this life. There is no second chance after death. So, this life is it. This is yep, our only chance. Now, You said we have to confess Christ to be saved. But what about, uh, I got a haircut the other day and the woman is telling me that she's going to show God her good works and she's (laughs) sure she can make it in. She doesn't need to accept Jesus. Is that possible? Nathan, that is the greatest lie of Satan. And it's all over the world. Uh, the idea that you can earn your way to Heaven. You ask most people, do you think you'll go to Heaven when you die? And they'll say, well, you know... uh, I got a lot of sins and I've done a lot of bad things, but I'm a lot better than a fellow I know down the street from me. We always start comparing ourselves to somebody we know who's worse. God does not grade on the curve, He grades on the cross. I interviewed Robert Jeffers, the pastor of First Baptist Church, about a year or two ago. And in that interview, he made a comment I'll never forget. He said, You know what separates, one of the things separates Christianity from every other religion in the world? Every other religion in the world is spelled D O. Do. You must do this, you must do this, you must do this, you must do this. And if you do all those things, maybe you can get to heaven. But Christianity, among all the religions of the world, is spelled D O N E. Done. Jesus did everything that was necessary on the cross. It is for us to reach out and receive that gift. And the Bible is very specific about this. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 8, it says, By grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should be bo- uh, should boast. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you think you can do it on your own, then uh, you're you're earning it. But Jesus Christ earned it for us, and it's a matter of us reaching out to Him and receiving Him as Lord and Savior. Oh, praise the Lord! Thank you for answering our questions. Welcome back to our discussion of life after death. Uh, Nathan, I think there was one more question you wanted to ask me. Yeah, I want to know if I'm going to be floating around forever as a disembodied spirit. No, no. That's a very common misconception there. We're never going to be disembodied spirits. We have a natural body now. Uh, We're going to have an intermediate spirit body after death. And then at the time of the resurrection, uh, we're going to have this body reconstituted and glorified and made permanent. And the Bible is full of evidence of this. Uh, Take the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Both of them had some sort of body after they died. 
talked to each other, they recognized each other. And in Revelation 7 we are told that when the tribulation martyrs come out of the tribulation after their death, they stand before the throne of God in white robes, waving palm branches and worshiping the Lord. Well, praise the Lord. That's no good news. No disembodied spirit. That's good news. Okay. Well, folks, as I pointed out at the beginning of this program, the Bible says in Hebrews 2.15 that most people live their lives in lifelong bondage to the fear of death. The same passage says that Jesus died on the cross to deliver us from that fear. In 2009, the husband of one of our staff members died. He was Lee Bean, the husband of Kay Bean. Lee was a man's man. He was big and he was husky and he was an outdoorsman. He was a person who worked hard all his life as a pipe fitter. Lee was a devout Christian who had a great zeal for lost souls and who was gifted in personal evangelism as a fisher of men. Shortly before his death, and when he knew that he was at death's door, we interviewed Lee. I want to share that remarkable interview with, with you right now to show you what kind of peace a true believer in Jesus can have in the face of death. Here now is Lee Bean. I pray daily that I would be a man after God's own heart. It started out, I tried to drink myself to death and taking uh, cocaine and speed and you know, staying up as long as I could and I would go up to almost two weeks without any sleep just drinking and uh, doing drugs. And after about two years of that I was so burned out and everything that I thought about biting a bullet. And uh, when I actually had the barrel in my mouth and I was fixing to pull the trigger, the Lord touched me. He, he quietly said, No, me. I love you. And I have a plan for you. I took the gun out and put it aside. I threw out all the drugs and all the drinks. And I rededicated my life uh, when I was 37 years old. And from then, uh, he put like a sponge inside of me. I, I read everything that I could about him, learning about Jesus. I love scripture and I love to read. Well, and then uh, uh, some of the old past uh, pastors preachers and evangelists in the world, uh, like Andrew Murray is one of my favorites. And uh, they taught me a tremendous amount, and Tori and, and a bunch of these others. And the Lord started using me to, uh, to have uh, Bible studies at work and uh, touching touching hearts just uh, by my walk, I guess, for those ones who didn't uh, participate and we truly re-invited them every day. Uh, I love to fish. I have met uh, people uh, on the bank and, uh, and I'd always, uh, when I would uh, talk with them, you know, I, we talk about the different fish or what we were trying to catch or, or different baits uh, to use. And, and I would sort of kind of bait them in a little bit. 
And uh, I said, you know the greatest fisherman that ever was in the world? And then they would come up, well, Van Dam's the best bass fisherman, or, or Kevin, uh, what's his name, was the other one. You know, or uh, Mr. Crappie for the crappie, and then a few others for the catfish and stuff. And I said, yeah, they're, they're all pretty good, but they don't even compare to this guy I'm, I'm thinking of. And they said, well, who could be a better fisherman than them? I said, Jesus Christ. I said, Jesus was the best fisherman in the world. He told Peter, by golly, to uh, go down to the lake and throw a line in, and the first fish that he caught to take a, denier, or take a coin out of his mouth and pay the taxes, either taxes. And I said, who in the world could ever do that? After I retired and the stuff, you know, the kids were living down in uh, Ingleside, down on the coast. And uh, I would go down and visit with them. And of course, you know, loving the fish and stuff, the saltwater fishing, uh, I'd go after the reds or the speckled trout, the sea trout. And uh, my, my grandkids, I'd take them fishing and stuff. And, you know, we would share and we would see things when we'd catch a fish, we would look at it and I'd show them, look at all the different colors which was in, uh, in this fish and uh, the different kinds and then open their mouth. Some of them would have teeth and some of them wouldn't. You know, just depending on what they ate. Uh, and uh, but my grandchildren, I said, now I want you to imagine something. We're going to go to Genesis in the Bible at creation. Imagine all the different kinds of fishes that there is, the shellfishes, the animals, the trees, the grass, and everything. And you know, if you read it and you look at it, it's all in a sequence. And it all leads up to man, and I said, "Can you, can you imagine the wisdom of God creating every little piece, everything in it, uh, the one seen, one unseen, the microscopic animal, and this being a feed food chain all the way up, then it comes to us." I said, "It's God amazing." How, who could imagine that in your bed there's little bitty tiny things that you can't even see what's eating up the dead skin on you and on your bed? Can you imagine that? And they went, oh! <laughs> yeah, the bed's full of them. The whole world is, is full of things that we cannot see. That is for a purpose. If it wasn't, this world couldn't hold together. And this is part of the wisdom of God. I went up uh, to my son. He called me here a couple of years ago. And uh, he asked me and said, Dad, uh, I, I need your help. 
And I said, okay, what, what do you need? And he said, I need you to come up and take care of my children while I go on maneuvers. So I went down bottom both the, uh, the children's study Bible and and uh, I got them a little six inch ruler and and uh, pens and uh, and we started going through the scriptures and we give them the plan of salvation and and the Lord used me as an instrument to bring them to Him. Yeah, and it was such a thrill of my life right then. Jesus loves me. He died on the cross for each and every one of us personally. Uh, he shed his life-giving blood. The horrific pains that he went through before he even went on the cross, and then on the cross. The Romans uh, back in his time were vicious people. I'm not worthy. Why he would do something like that for me, sometimes I imagine that I feel his love. And that's good. He bought me with a price. I was a deep sinner. Nobody liked that, didn't even like me. Oh, but he took me out. He put a joy in my heart put a step in my step. Uh, I can't do anything else but love him and live for him. That's the truth of the matter. And I can't imagine anyone outside of his outside of his children not wanting to know him. Not wanting to to be with him. He is my best friend. Uh, he is my Lord, my Master, and my God. How's that for a powerful testimony of faith in the power of Jesus to give one victory over death? Only Christians can look death in the eye and say mockingly, O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? Well, that's our program for this week. I hope it's been a blessing to you. And until next week, at the same time, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. What will happen when you die? This monumental question is answered by Dr. David Reagan's book titled, Eternity, Heaven or Hell? Many other questions concerning the afterlife are answered in this easy-to-understand book based upon the clear teachings of the Bible. Well, what about the resurrection and judgment? What will heaven be like? Is hell for real? Are there many roads to God? How can we be certain of life after death? Are you living with an eternal perspective? Many answers are provided to the most common questions people ask about life and death. And this book can be yours for a donation of $15 or more, plus the cost of shipping. Just call the number you see on the screen between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday, or order online at lamblion.com. And while you're at it, consider ordering an extra copy for your pastor and church library. 
Hello, my name is Nathan Jones, web minister with Lamb and Lion Ministries. We're using the internet to proclaim the soon return of Jesus Christ to over one billion people who access the internet now and after the rapture. I'd like to invite you to come and check out our website at www.lamblion.com. You will find a wealth of information about Bible prophecy, gaining a big picture view into God's plan for the ages and learn how His eternal plan relates to you in the here and now. Christ in Prophecy is made possible through the faithful and generous support of viewers like you. Please consider making a donation to Lamb and Lion Ministries so that we can continue broadcasting the message of Jesus' soon return. Thank you, and God bless you. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus.